Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. We're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Savior and the sacrifice. He is the substitute for the sins of the world. Now, we're seeing the trials of Jesus. He's been arrested. And now he's gone. He's going to go before the Jews and the Romans. He'll have three trials before the Jews and three trials before the Romans. At the conclusion, of course, he'll be taken to the cross where he'll die and rise again, paying for sin, conquering death. He indeed is our Savior and King. Now, this morning, we're continuing seeing the trials. He was arrested in the garden. We saw that the night before he had been taken first to the house of Annas, the former high priest, and then on to the house of Caiaphas, who is the present high priest. This morning, as we look through this, we're going to see a formal trial. In fact, it's going to be the morning. He had two trials at night. Now, this is a trial in the morning. He's going before the religious leaders, the ruling body of Israel, which was called the Sanhedrin. And as we look at this passage, we realize that Jesus is the one in control. In fact, it looks like that he's not in control, but he is. In fact, he's really the judge, not the religious leaders. He is the one who lays down his life and takes it back up for us. And so may we be encouraged as we look at our passage and see how Jesus is the one going to die for us. It's a very powerful passage. Now, let's think about this. We all want to be in control. In fact, a lot of us think we are in control. We say, I'm doing fine. I'm in control, but we're really not. The truth is, we don't want to feel helpless. We know how it feels when we're not in control. And think about the trials of Christ. It looked like the religious leaders were in control of the whole thing. They think they have the power. They think they're bringing about these circumstances and events. Think about it. They're the ones who arrested Jesus. They're having the trials. They're the ones that beat Jesus. They're the ones that find him guilty. They're the ones that take him to Pilate. Pilate even says, I can do whatever I want. Well, the truth is, these people aren't in control. Jesus is the one who's in control. Jesus is the one that's working all these events. He is the one who's offering his life and laying it down for us, and he's the one that takes it back up. They didn't come and get Jesus and arrest him by force. All he had to do, remember earlier, what did he do? They came out to get him, and he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus, and he said, I am. And they took steps backwards and put their faces on the ground. I mean, he's in control. He told one of the disciples, if I want to, I can call these angels. I can do anything I want. They don't have to arrest him. Jesus is in control. Think about that. Wow. Ah. When he went before Herod, Herod was uh, a king. We'll talk more about Herod. Herod wanted Jesus to do some miracles. He kept saying, do some miracles. Jesus never even answered him. And when he goes before Pilate, who is the the Roman governor, Pilate said, hey, don't you know that I, I have the authority to do with you? And Jesus looked at him and said, the only authority that you have has been given to you from above. As we look at this passage this morning, Jesus, our Savior, is the one in control. He is working the events that bring about his death and resurrection. You realize that Jesus died on Passover. This has been Passover evening to this morning as we get into this passage. It will be Passover morning. Do you realize Jesus died on the 14th day of the first month, which is Passover? Jesus has to die on Passover. He's our Passover lamb. Do you understand the religious leaders didn't want him dying on Passover? They didn't want him dying at all during the feast. They even told Judas when they were talking about betraying him, let's figure out a time that we can get him, but not during the feast time. Well, he dies in the feast time. He dies on the 14th day of the first month, Passover, because he's our Passover lamb. He rose from the grave on the feast of first fruits, which was on a Sunday morning. He rose from the grave. First fruits represented new life, resurrection. He rose from the grave on resurrection day. So he died on the day he's supposed to die, and he rose from the grave on the day he's supposed to rise, because Jesus is the one in control. His plan is, and purpose is to be the Savior of the world. His plan is to be the final sacrifice for sin forever. He's going to die and rise again to give eternal life to all who believe. This morning, we'll see the third trial of Jesus before these religious leaders, before the Jews. Guess what? He's still in control. Well, let's begin. Now, last time we saw that Jesus was arrested in the garden, and when he got arrested, his men who said, we will never deny you will stand all the way, they ran off. 
We saw that Peter denied Jesus three times when he was in that little, you know, when Jesus was being trialed and he was out in the courtyard of the priest's house. We saw the first two trials before the Jews. Now remember this, there are three trials by the Jews and three trials by the Romans. We're, we've seen the first two already, we're going to see the third one before the uh, Jews today, and then as next week and then we get to that, we'll get to the Romans. Now, as we see this, here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to give you the outline of the passage. We're going to review very quickly those first two trials, it won't take but just a, just a very brief time, and then we'll look at the third trial. So let's start with the outline. Here's the deal. We're going to see Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin. The word Sanhedrin, it, that's the idea of the ruling body of Israel. We'll talk about it. Uh, he, he meets before the council. There's questions raised. Jesus declares that he is God. Now, I want you to, and when we go through this passage, we're going to talk about this in more detail. But there are people that may come to you, and they may say something like this, because I've had people say this to me. They say, you know, Jesus was really great, but I don't think anywhere in the Bible Jesus actually declared that he was God. People say that. They've been taught that. They've heard that. They're wrong. In this passage, Jesus declares that he is God. We'll see it, and we'll see it very clearly, and we'll see the council's response when he does that. So that's the outline. As we begin, let's just let's get a little brief review of the trials. Now, remember this, that there were th- the trials of Jesus, there were three before the Jews and three before the Romans. Think about this. First of all, he went before Annas, who was the former high priest. Then he goes to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. Those were both at night. And then he goes before the Sanhedrin in the morning. So there's three trials. Annas first, Caiaphas second, Sanhedrin third. All these trials were illegal. Here's why. The first two were at night, and the Sanhedrin was not supposed to meet at night. The Jewish ruling body was not to meet at night. And second, it was not done in their council hall. It was done in homes. So both of those were illegal. The third one, the Sanhedrin one, it was in the morning, and it is at the hall, but here's the thing that was illegal. When the Sanhedrin made a judgment, they had a trial, and the sentence was passed the next day. That was their rule. We're going to find that when Jesus' trial, they passed the sentence right then. So they violate the laws. They're all done illegally. The charges were that he is the Son of God. That's what they want him to say. They want him to say that he thinks he's God, and if he thinks he's God, that's blasphemy, and we can kill him. That's what they want to do. There are also three trials before the Romans. First of all, there's Pontius Pilate. He's the governor of Judea. We'll talk more about him later. There's Herod. His name is Herod Antipas. He's one of the descendants of King Herod, who was the man who tried to kill Jesus when he was born. This is one of his descendants. And then back to Pilate again. So they have three different meetings there. Jesus has no legal rights. He is not a Roman citizen. When people say the trials before the Romans were illegal, Jesus had no rights. They could do with Jesus anything they wanted to. The third thing, the charges. See, the Jews, they charged him as the Son of God because they wanted him dead. Before the Romans, they had to charge him as being a king of the Jews. Now, they could have taken him to the Romans and said, See this man? He claims to be God. We want you to put him to death. The Romans would have said, we got a lot of gods. If he wants to be a god, he can be a god. It doesn't bother us a bit. So they weren't going to put him to death. The Romans wouldn't put him to death because he claimed to be God. But they would put him to death if he claimed to be the king, usurping the authority of the Caesar. So that's the plan. So three trials before the Jews, three trials before the Romans. We've seen the first two, and, and we'll see how that fits together. Let me give you a quick review of the first true of the first two. The first one, they took him to Annas. The second one, to Caiaphas. Now, remember, Annas was the former high priest. He was a very wealthy man. He was a very powerful man. Um, biblically, the high priest was supposed to be high priest for life, 
And when he died, his oldest son was supposed to be the high priest. It went all the way back to Aaron. But by the time of Jesus, the Romans had taken over, and the high priest had just become a political office. So Annas had been the high priest for eight or nine years, and then he steps down, and his son-in-law, Caiaphas, becomes the high priest. And when they, when they took Jesus to Annas, they asked him some questions. They didn't like his answers. One guy went over and hit Jesus. And then they decided to take him on to Caiaphas. The second trial is Caiaphas. And this was also in Caiaphas' home. He's the high priest. Now here's what this man had said. Caiaphas had made a statement earlier. He said it is expedient that this one man, Jesus, die for the nation. Now what he meant was this. He thought Jesus was causing so much trouble that it would be better if Jesus was killed and the nation would be okay and the Romans wouldn't bother him. So he says it's really good that Jesus gets killed for the nation. He didn't realize that what he said was actually right because it was good that Jesus would die for the nation because when Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, he was the Savior not only of the Jews but the whole world as well. So it was good that Jesus would die for the nation because that's what he did. Now, before Caiaphas, here's what happened. I want you to just stay right there. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn and read something to you. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to listen to this. This is in Matthew 26, beginning at verse 62. This is what happened in the second trial that Jesus was taken before uh, Caiaphas. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? They'd been asking him a bunch of questions and he wouldn't answer them. Do you not answer? What is that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Now, adjure means I charge you. You must tell me. I charge you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, the Christ is the Messiah, the Savior. He said, I tell you, you've got to tell us. Jesus said to him, you have said it. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, what Jesus said was very plain. He said, you said it. Are you the Son of God? You have said it. That's who I am. And then he said, you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of God and coming in power. He just declared to them that he's God and he's the judge. Now, it made them so mad. Verse 65 of Matthew 26, the high priest tore his robes and said, He's blaspheming. What further need do we have of witnesses? First of all, they didn't have any witnesses. Second, behold, now you've heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they all said, He deserves to die. Now, the high priest broke the law. The law said the high priest could never tear his robes. In that day and time, if you were really upset about something and somebody like something really bad happened, you would take your regular clothes and you'd just tear them, and that showed that you were really sad. The high priest under the Mosaic law was never to tear his robes, never. When Jesus said that he was the Son of God, the high priest tore his robes. He violated the Scripture there. Now, watch what happened. Just listen to this. They begin to spit in his face. They beat him with their fist. Others slapped him and they said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Now, in Luke 22, we're going to see the very end of that trial. And so they got Jesus in there and they began to hit on him and they made fun of him and did all this. Look at uh, chapter 22. Look at verse 63. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him and they blindfolded him and they were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blasphemy. Now what they did to Jesus at Caiaphas' house, after they had found him guilty, they put a blindfold around him and then people would hit him and they would say, oh, if you're the you're prophesy, tell us who hit you. If you're really God, you know who hit you. And so they did all these bad things to Jesus. 
That's trial number two. First trial before Annas, second trial before Caiaphas, and now we're going to see the third trial, and this is before the Sanhedrin, and this is going to be in the morning. These two trials, the first two trials we've seen were at nighttime. You remember Jesus had gone out, they had eaten the meal, they went out to the garden, it was night, they were praying, they come in to arrest them, they got torches and clubs and everything, and they arrest Jesus, and all night long they have those two trials, one before Annas and one before Caiaphas. It's now very early in the morning. Let's see this third trial. Look what it says. When it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying... Now, this third trial is before the Sanhedrin. They're the ruling body of Israel. Let me explain to you who these people were. In the nation of Israel, they chose 70 men to be like their leaders. They were often called the elders. The group that came together was called the Sanhedrin. That was their ruling body. The high priest was one of the 70. And they would meet together and they would decide the issues for the nation of Israel. Now, the Roman government was really in control and the Roman government allowed the Sanhedrin to meet. Now, in the Sanhedrin, there were 70 people. Most of them were Pharisees. Some of them were Sadducees, but the Sadducees were the rich ones, and the, high, the priests were of the Sadducees. The high priest was the leader of the whole group. That means Caiaphas was the head of the Sanhedrin. Seventy people. If one of those men died, the other 69 chose another man to take his place. It was not a vote of the people. It was a vote of the, six, of the, the Sanhedrin themselves. So it was self-perpetuating. They always voted this way. They voted from the youngest to the oldest because they didn't want a younger man to be swayed by the vote of an older man. And so they always voted from the youngest to the oldest. When, if a person had to go before the Sanhedrin, if you were on trial and you had to go before the Sanhedrin, they made you wear old clothes. You could not wear new clothes. You had to wear old clothes. And when you stay, came in, this is what we read from history, you had to have your head down. You could not look at the Sanhedrin because they're very important people. And you're just nothing, and you're before trial. So when they're going to bring in Jesus, Jesus is not supposed to look at them. That's what they say. And they're, they're the ruling body of Israel, and Jesus is somebody who's done something wrong. That's the plan. And so notice what it says. Uh, when it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled. Here they are. They're coming together. Chief priests, scribes, they led him away to their council chamber, chamber saying... They've got him there. Now, it's early in the day. Now, I want you to think about this. And I mentioned it last week, so you, you know this already if you were here last week. But don't think that they met about, you know, 8.30 or 9. You know, give us time, you know, get up and get ready and have a meeting. No, the, it's, it's still dark outside. Let me tell you what they're going to do. They're going to come together, and they're going to have a meeting, and they're going to declare Jesus guilty, and they're going to beat him a little bit, and then... They're going to take him to see Pilate. All of that happens before 7 o'clock in the morning. One of the other Gospels tells us this. And then notice this. They're going to get Jesus to Pilate, and he's going to be tried by Pilate. He's going to be taken over to Herod, tried by Herod, brought back to Pilate, tried by Pilate again, beaten, beaten almost where you can't even recognize him, and put on the cross. And all of that is before 9 o'clock in the morning. So all of this happens very early. Now, there's a reason for this. The reason the Jews wanted Jesus 
brought before Pilate very early is because they didn't want the crowds involved. Because as a whole, the crowds liked Jesus. They didn't, they didn't necessarily believe he was the Messiah, but they liked him because he was a good man. He did good things. He fed them. He took care of them. So the religious leaders want Jesus tried and put on the cross very early in the morning so that the average guy doesn't even know what's going on. That's what they want. So look what happens. When it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him to their council chambers, saying... Now, they've got him there. Remember, they don't have the authority to kill him. Jews did not have authority under the Roman law to kill him. They had to go to the Romans to get him killed. So they want to find him guilty and then do that. The two trials that night were both illegal, and they found him guilty. Now we're going to see this trial. Now, they cut right to the issue. Look what they say, verse 67. They ask him, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask a question, you will not answer. Now, they ask him the question plain out, if you are the Christ, tell us. Now, the word Christ there means the anointed one of God. They're saying, are you the Savior? Are you the Messiah? They started off by saying, if you are the Christ, tell us. Now, in Greek, most of you, if you've been to countryside, you know that there are different kinds of words, different kinds of if in the Greek language. And there's an if and it's true. There's a first class if. This is a first class if, which means when they say this, they say, if and it's true, you are the Christ, tell us. Now, they're wanting him to say, I am the Christ. They're not saying if and it's true because they actually believe it. They don't believe he's the Christ. They don't want him to be the Christ. But they want him to say that he is the Christ. So they're saying, if and, and it's true that you're the Christ, tell us. Because once he says, I'm the Christ, they can say he deserves to die. That's what they want him to do. Now, the night before, they asked him, and he said, I am the Christ, and I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that's when the high priest tore his robes the night before. It's now daytime. The whole assembly has come together, and they asked the question, if you are the Christ, tell us. Now, I brought this out a while ago. Before the Jews, he, they want to claim, the claims are that he is God. That's what they say. He's God. He's worthy of death for blasphemy because he's God. Now, remember, I told you that if you go before the Romans, and that's the next one, if you go before the Romans, go ahead and go to the next one. If you go before the Romans, he claimed, that, that claims there that he is the king. Because, as I said a while ago, if they took him before the Romans and said he's claiming to be God, the Romans could care less if he claimed to be God. Their emperor was God. They had gods for every household. They had all kind of gods. So if somebody said they were God, they'd say, well, that's fine with us if you want to be God. But to be a king, he said that he, they said that Jesus said people shouldn't pay taxes. And so if you go to the Romans and say he thinks he's a king and he's saying not pay taxes, they'd say, well, that's not very good. We need to do something about that. So that's the plan. They say, if you are the Christ, this is the key, you tell us. Notice what he says. He said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. How does he know that? Because last night, the night, last night when they said to him, are you the Christ? He said, I am the Christ. And they tore their clothes and they said, we don't believe you. He knows their minds. He knows their hearts. He knows that they do not believe in him. And that when he says that, that it'll be blasphemy. He, he goes on to say in verse 68, and if I ask you a question, you will not answer. Now, what question would he ask them? The question is a simple question. He's asked it before. Who do you think that I am? You remember when he talked with the disciples and he looked at them and said, Who do the people say that I am? But who do you say that I am? 
See, they don't want to answer the question. They don't want to say who they think Jesus is because they've seen him. They know who he is. Let me tell you, you think they're fooled? Do you think they think he's a radical man? No, they believe. They know that this guy is the Messiah. They looked at what he did. He was born in Bethlehem. He was a descendant of David. They've seen all the miracles. They don't want him to be in power. They don't want him to be the Messiah. They want to reject him. And so he says, even I asked you the question, you won't believe. If I asked you a question, you won't even answer. But look what he's going to do. He's going to raise this. Verse 69. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, he gives them something that's powerful. He said, from this point on. Now, see, they see Jesus and they've seen him going around. They saw him in Galilee. They saw him in Jerusalem. They saw him do his miracles. But he says, from this point on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. You know what he's saying? I'm about through with my work. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die and I'm rise again. I'm going to send back and I'll be at the right hand of the Father. I want you to understand by when he said, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God, he is quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. It was a psalm about the Messiah. And it said that the Messiah, who is the Son of Man, is seated at the right hand of the Father. Only the, the Savior of the world, only the Messiah can be seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is claiming right there to be God. In fact, there's two aspects of it. I want you to see this. He says that he's the Son of Man and he's at the right hand of the Father. There's two things to think about. The Son of Man. That's the title in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. That is the title of the Savior. That's the title of God. The title that Daniel would write, he says, the Son of Man is the title of God. When Jesus quotes himself and says, I'm the Son of Man, he is saying that I am God. If somebody ever comes to you, and I talked about it earlier, and they say to you, I don't think Jesus ever claimed to be God in this passage. In this passage we're studying this morning, just remember this. Take them back there. The reason they wanted to kill Jesus is because he claimed to be God. Do you remember what he said? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Over and over, Jesus claimed to be God. Why? Because he is God. And so in this passage, they say, tell us. And he says, if I tell you, you won't believe it. If I ask you a question, you won't answer. But I tell you what, from now on, the Son of Man is going to be seated at the right hand of the power of God. The Son of Man is the title of the Messiah. At the right hand of God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is going to be seated at the right hand of the Father until everything is completed. When it's completed, Jesus comes to this earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the judge of the world. See, they think they're trying Jesus. He's actually trying them. He's the judge of the world. And so he tells them, one of these days, from this point on, Son of Man is going to be seated at the right hand of the power of God. He says, I am God and I am the King. I will be at the right hand of the Father. Listen to this. This is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, now the main point of what we've seen is this. We have a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesties in the heavens. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the King. He is the great high priest. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Do you know what he's doing for you right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father? Hebrews 7.25 says he lives forever to make intercession for you. Every time you pray. 
Every time you pray, how do you end your prayers? Don't you normally say, in Jesus' name we pray? Why do you say, in Jesus' name we pray? Because Jesus is the only authority you have to approach the Heavenly Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And when you say, oh Lord, please work this out for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus said, I'll take that prayer for you. He is your intercessor. He's Hebrews 7:25. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says he is your advocate. When you sin and you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you because he's at the right hand of the Father as your advocate dealing with your sin. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's doing. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father. And they knew exactly what he meant, that he is the Messiah, that he is God, and that he is the King. And that's what he's declaring. Do you think they understood that? Look at their next question, verse 70. And they said, they all said, Are you the Son of God then? Are you saying you're the Son of God? Is that what you're saying? Because they knew exactly what he was saying. And he said, Yes, I am. Now in the original Greek, it literally says, You say that I am. That was He was saying that you got it right. You say that I am. You have got it right. I am what I am who you said. I am what you said. I am the Son of God. I am the Savior. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ came to the earth and died on the cross, paid for your sin and my sin. He was buried and He rose again. And He gives eternal life to all who believe. And He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father. He is the Son of Man, God, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, the King. He is the King and the Savior. Now, you understand that there's really three ways to look at this. And this is a famous thing that C.S. Lewis once said. He said, listen, if Jesus Christ says he's God, then either he's crazy or he's a liar or it's the truth. I mean, there's not anything else. If Jesus said, I am the Son of God, I am the Savior, I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the Father, I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords, then, then number one, he could be a crazy man. He could just thought he was God. He didn't act like a crazy person, though, did he? Well, some people say, well, he was just a liar. See, he just wanted to fool people. He just said, you know, I'm God. I'm not really God, but I'm going to tell people I'm God. No, that's not his character. Jesus Christ is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, let me ask you the question. Because he said, if I ask them the question, they won't answer. But here's the question for you. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Who do you think that he is? Was he a crazy man? Was he a liar? Or is he the Son of God? Is he the one who died and rose again and gives you eternal life? What do you think about Jesus Christ? He came to die on the cross and pay for sin and rise again. He came to die the just for the unjust to bring us to God. What will you do with Jesus? Now, let me tell you, most of you in this room, I know your faces. I've seen you. I know a lot of you. Some of you I don't know personally. So the question would be, what will you do with Jesus Christ? Do you think he's crazy? Do you think he was a liar? Or do you think he's the Son of God who died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again? My hope and prayer is that every one of us in this room, that you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you have trusted in him and him alone for eternal life. Salvation is not you doing good. Salvation is not going to church, being righteous in any of those kind of ways. It's not religion. It's not works. Salvation is a gift which comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It is that simple. And I hope and pray that every one of you in this room would say, I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I have eternal life. Well, how did they respond when Jesus said it again? Yes, 
I am. This is what they said, verse 71. Then they said to him, What further need do we have of testimony? For we heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Well, it says further testimony. They never got any testimony. You remember when they got people in there? They all they were so confused. They were all lying. They got no testimony. The only testimony they actually have is what Jesus said. They said, We have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. We've heard Jesus say that he is God. Now we can put him to death. That's the plan. What did Jesus say? I am the Son of God. What did Jesus do? Look at this. He had the power over nature. You remember what he did? He calmed the sea and he walked on the water and he changed the water to wine. He had the power over disease. Think about it. He he would heal people, the, the sick, he would get them well, the lame could walk, the blind could see, all of these things. He had power over sin. You realize that he turned to someone and said, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. And he had power over death. You remember the little 12-year-old girl he raised from the dead and the widow's son that he raised from the dead and Lazarus that he raised from the dead? Who is Jesus? He is God. Power over nature, disease, sin, death. He is the Son of God. And what is the response? To believe in Him. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved us, the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, gave Him to die on the cross, pay for sin, and rise again, that whoever, anyone, would believe in Him, belief, faith in Him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's that simple. It's not our works. It's not what we've done or what we're going to do. It's not our lifestyle. It is simply faith alone in Christ alone. Now, they've got, they got what they wanted. They've had three trials, one before Annas, and they hit him, one before Caiaphas, and they beat him and, and, and tore their clothes, and he declared he was God. Then they got the whole assembly together, and by the way, not all of the members of the Sanhedrin were there. We'll see how later, because there was a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, and there was another guy who came to Jesus by night. He probably wasn't there at this meeting. We'll talk about it later when we get to the burial of Christ. But now they've got him, and they say, we've got him. Now what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take him to the Romans, and they're going to have to change the story because we want to put him to death because he's God, but we've got to take him to the Romans and say well, he needs to die because he thinks he's the king. The place that they were going to take him was called the Praetorium. That was where Pilate stayed. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. We'll talk about more detail next week. But it's pretty early in the morning. It's before 7 o'clock. So they're going to take him to Pilate. They have about 100 yards to go. From where the Sanhedrin met, the best we can tell from history, from where they met to where the Praetorium was, was only about 100 yards. So all they got to do is take Jesus over there. Now, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to wake the governor up. That may not be a smart thing. But they say we've got to take that chance because we can't wait till it gets 8, 9, 10 o'clock. All the people will be out all over the streets. And we don't want the people to see what we're doing because they'll get all upset. So we've got to get him to Pilate early in the morning. And as I said earlier, they're going to take him to Pilate. He's going to go from Pilate to Herod and back to Pilate and on the cross all before 9 o'clock in the morning. It's very powerful. Look at chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. Next week we're going to see who this Pilate guy is. And we're going to see who Herod is. And we're going to see what Jesus did. It's very powerful. First three trials found guilty by the Jews. The next three trials not guilty by the Romans. We'll see what happens. 
Jesus is arrested and tried by the Jews. There's two trials at night, one before Annas and one before Caiaphas, found guilty. Then there's the trial very early in the morning before the Sanhedrin. The question is, are you the Son of God? And he says, yes. In fact, he says he's the Savior, the King, and the Judge. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. They want him dead, so they're going to take him to Pilate. Let me show you some applications. Here's the first one. Realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior. That's the bottom line. That's what we've been studying as we go through this. A, he declared that he is the Son of God. He did. They asked him, are you the Son of God? He said, yes. Either he was crazy or a liar or he is the truth. Well, we know he's the truth. He came into this world as the Son of God. The religious leaders rejected him. He, he said he's going to be at the right hand of the Father. He called himself Son of Man, which is God. He said he's the right hand of the Father, which is the King. He is the Savior and the King. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He forgave sin. He is God, and all the way through his life, he declared that he was God by what he did and what he said. And so if anybody ever says to you, I don't think Jesus ever actually said he was God, he said it over and over, not only by what he did, but by what he said. The second thing I want you to realize or think about is that Jesus is in control. They think they're in control. They think they've arrested him. They think they're trying him. They think they've got him. They think they're going to take him to Pilate. Pilate thinks he's in control. None of these people are in control. Jesus is working all things according to the counsel of His will. He came into this world to lay down His life and to take it back up again. One great thing about this, if He's in control, you know what that means for us? That we can rest in Him. That every event that comes into our life is a result of having God allowing it to come into our lives because He's working all events. That takes us to the third thing, and that's the key. Trust Christ as Savior. We talked about it a while ago. He is the one who died and rose again. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Messiah and the Christ. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. All the goodness we ever do, all the righteousness we do, all the religion we ever do can never save us. Jesus and Him alone. He, is, he alone is the Savior. It's faith in Him alone. That's why John 3.16 is so beautiful. If you only knew one verse... And you know what's so amazing is John 3.16 is the only verse that many people know. I never went to church in my life. I went to church when I was 6 years old once and when I was 12 years old either once or twice. But if you had said, do you know any verse from the Bible, I would have probably said, I know there's, a, there's something about God so loving the world. That's the only thing I knew. You can take that verse and you can share your faith and you can tell people in this community the good news message of Christ. Now, I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. If not, right where you're sitting, you can believe in Him as your Savior right now. But as we scatter out in this community, you are going to come into contact with people who do not know Jesus. Pray that God will use you to take the message of salvation, that God will allow you and use you, that you get to tell them how that Jesus died and rose again, and he gives eternal life to all who believe. By faith alone in Christ, we have eternal life, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, who died and rose again, who is the Savior and gives eternal life simply as a gift by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Help us to know it and understand it. Lord, we thank you that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. He declared that he is God. He did it all. He is in control. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He died and rose again, giving eternal life to all who believe. And Lord, I just pray that you will use us in this room, every one of us, that we'll go out these doors being representatives of Jesus Christ and telling the great good news that Jesus is the Savior. Thank you for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.